Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Have You Seen, a brand new weekly podcast all about television, hosted by me, Mariella Frostra. And me, Peter Fincham. So, Mariella, here we are. It's our first show. Maybe we should explain to our listeners what we're here to do and what we're hoping to achieve. Good Lord, it could take a while, couldn't it? Two people in a room, mad about watching television and eager to expound on their theories of what's good, bad and indeed indifferent. And let me just explain that I have set up a system. The thing that Peter has an unbearable habit of doing is mentioning incessantly uh, that he once ran BBC One and also once ran ITV. And occasionally he drops in that he runs a television production company. (laughs) So what I've decided is that every time he mentions running a BBC One or ITV, it's a £50 fine. Money goes in the swear jar and I get to spend it on alcohol mostly, maybe or maybe sweet sweet snacks, you know, whatever the mood takes me, see what the production team want. And when he mentions that he runs a production company, it's £25. So, Peter Fincham, aside from running two big uh, TV networks in the past, BBC One and ITV, I can say it, are you a big TV watcher? Well, I am. And, And actually, you kind of raise an interesting point there, because if you're running channels, and I know I'm not you know, supposed to refer to that too often. If you're running channels, an awful lot of your television viewing is, you might say, duty viewing. You know, you know you've got to keep up with this or you've got to watch that. And I don't want to say that robs the pleasure of it, because it doesn't, because if they're good programmes, you love them. But one of the liberating things when you're no longer doing that is you're watching for pleasure and you choose things that you like. And I enjoy television more now than, than in those days. I really do. So do you think that we're going to extract all the pleasure from your viewing again by every week choosing three or four programmes that we're going to forensically examine for work? No, not really, because I think I think we're choosing programmes not only that we think are worth viewing, but that we think, you know, people listening to this podcast are worth viewing. That's the purpose of the podcast. We're trying to help people to avoid watching, you know, dross, if you like, and watch things that are really worthwhile. There's so much content out there. We've got an absolute tsunami of choice of television. And so I think that trying to navigate your way through that 
is really interesting and hopefully we can play some role for people in helping them do that. Do you want to ask me about my television viewing or yeah, should we just yeah, keep no, talking about I thought, about I'd, I thought you. I'd ask you, answer your question first. Are you a binge viewer where you kind of settle on one thing and then just go from episode one to episode ten or do you like a kind of sample different things? Give us a sense. Well, I think I discovered binge viewing when 24 started. Do you remember that? That was the original, yeah. that was the but beginning of binge viewing. But, but you couldn't binge watch back in the day. Do you remember it used yeah. to come out once a week and it was absolute torture and then I think it was after the first series that you started to be able to watch more of them in one go or was it if you let the whole I think 24 coincided with DVD box sets yes I think that was absolutely key and my husband and I had to have a 10 p.m. rule, which was you couldn't go into episode two after 10 p.m. I bet you broke it because the adrenaline was too strong from each episode so basically you could watch if if you started watching early enough you could watch a couple and I have to say I really loved that feeling of being completely compelled I love that feeling of being completely compelled by anything because I think I find it quite difficult to sort of detach myself from a million different thoughts. Do you have this thing that I have, uh, that I have with my wife that we watch the first episode of something together, we both enjoy it and we say, let's stay in step with each other here. Let's not get ahead. And then a couple of days later, I say to her, let's watch the second episode. She said, I've just finished the whole series. And she's done it behind my back. Drive me mad. I might need to be fair. I do exactly the same thing. Jason is exactly the same as your wife, Claire. Uh, Jason is the one who just completely binges. He has no control at all over chocolate biscuits or (laughs) or movies or box sets or anything like that. I think he even goes to the extent of pretending I haven't seen something occasionally and saying, oh, no, I haven't watched any more episodes. Let's, Let's watch episode two together. And I secretly, I have watched it or Claire has watched it. And I think now that we're making this podcast, it's going to be even harder because my time is going to be taken up with research, deep research. I think it's very likely that we're going to disagree quite often. I don't think that's a, a I, spoiler, do you? Uh, no, I think you you once said to me, and I don't hold this against you, though you, you were a guest <laughs> in my own home, you once said to me the problem with it television does. was that it was run by, uh, I think, let me get the phrase right, Mediocre middle-aged men. Mm. Uh, I still I, think that, I just in put, case you're wondering. I was one of them. I put my hand up, except I no longer run television in any sense at all. Uh, so, yeah, we've we've somehow found that we've got different perspectives on things. But I think we both have a love of television, and that's why we're here, and a love of viewing it. Do you think uh, it was my attitude that prevented me from having a mainstream television presenting career? Oh, I don't think that's for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have wanted to be Tess Daly and presented Strictly like a bank balance. (laughs) This week we're going to be talking about ITV's Yorkshire Ripper drama, The Long Shadow, Stephen Graham's return to the kitchen in the BBC series Boiling Point, and the new celebrity version of the travelogue stroke competition mashup that is Race Across the World. Well, I'm delighted to say that our guest this week is the brilliant and talented Rob Rinder. Rob is a writer, a broadcaster, a documentary maker, a barrister, and he always received all of my votes when he appeared on Strictly Come Dancing a couple of years ago. Rob, thanks so much for being with us. The pleasure. You should um, disclose to people that you're the reason I'm on telly, so, you know. Well, I don't think I should disclose that. I think if anybody's going to disclose it, you should disclose that, Rob. If you like me or loathe me, it's all because of Peter Fincham. Now everyone's going to think that we can only get guests because Peter Fincham's employed them, so... Maybe you could rescind well, I mean, that comment and say you're only here because you find me so devilishly attractive. 
Could we try that? Well, listen, let me tell you, I, I, I'll try that. My mother will be thrilled. I keep a recording, so my grandma. <laughs> Nobody's going to believe that. But in, you know, Peter's case, half the people that uh, are on telly are there because, you know, he's... Well, they either owe him a favour or because he's got the goods on them. Enough of this. I'm going to draw a veil over this. So The Long Shadow, uh, it's on ITV. The definitive depiction of the desperate five-year hunt for serial killer Peter Sutcliffe, focusing on the lives of the victims who crossed his path and those of the officers at the heart of the police investigation. At 7.41 this morning, the body of a 28-year-old woman, Wilma McCann, was found in the Prince Philip playing fields behind Scottall Avenue in Chapeltown. Wilma had been stabbed 15 times. Two further lacerations were found on back of her head. Impact wounds from some kind of tool. Hammer. Spanner, maybe. I'm telling you this not to shock you. Because I want you all to appreciate what one person did to another person in our city last night. Where are we on this? Is this a retelling of the Yorkshire Ripper story that's from a different angle and justifies itself because the angle is different from the point of view of the victims and the police? It doesn't dwell on the on the Yorkshire Ripper himself, on Peter Sutcliffe himself? Or do we think, well, hang on a minute, you're making drama out of the murder of women by a man. Is it gratuitous or exploitative? I'd love to know what you think. Well, can we start with just saying that imagine that you landed from Mars and you knew nothing about the Yorkshire Ripper or anything that sort of precedes the story and you were just watching it as a drama. I think you'd think this is a very fine thing indeed. The performances, I think, are brilliant. The setting, the sense of the period, the endless smoking, the kind of difficulties of the cowed wife trying to save her family's Christmas. I mean, I, 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 f I found the whole thing actually really gripping and really moving. Are you on the same page, Rob? Yeah, I have to say, um, I was furious you made me watch this. I just wanted a sort of weekend of tawdry, delightful escapism. And um, you had me kind of conscripted into watching what on the face of it is, and it is, a sort of bleak drama. But I don't think it's as gratuitous at all. I agree with Mariella. You know, you'd learn let's say, uh, uh, the story of the Yorkshire Ripper. But so often, people who live in infamy get all of the fame. And so we see drama through the prism of the horror of their actions. And I guess that was my interest, how authentic and realistic um, the kind of institutionalised sexism was, which hindered the investigation. I, I completely agree. I just want to say a word or two about the writer, because the writer is a man called George Kay. And as you're saying, there's something deep and profound about this. Well, only a few weeks ago, it seems, he was the writer of Hijack on Apple TV, which was a bit of a binge watch over the summer. Deep and profound it wasn't, but it kept you on the edge of your seat. Now, George Kay, I had a meeting with him a couple of years ago. He's only about 40. He cannot remember any of this at all. He was a runner at the production company I used to work, uh, run, oh, 20 years ago called Peter, Talkback. Peter, you're straying perilously close to the swear jar. I, I know. I, I mean, I know. I know you didn't say the BBC, which yeah. I used to run, or the ITV, which I used Understood. to run, but the production company, which I used to run, I think that's a £25 fine. I'm you taking set a up a £50 <laughs> just, fine just, for running. A network. Uh, all right, I'll pay the money. I just want to, tell, to pay the I money. want to tell the story. So he was a runner, which is the kind of lowest of the low. And boy, he's risen because he's also created Lupin on Netflix, another brilliant series on Netflix called Criminal. I had a meeting with him and he said, you won't remember me. I was a runner when you were running Talkback. I said to him, oh, my God. Was I was I polite to you when I asked you to go and get me a cup of tea? He confirmed that I was, which is a big relief to me because he's now 
almost taking over writing of drama. But he he's somebody who can't remember these events at all. And yet he's imagined something to me that seems so true. Um, it's really interesting you're referring to the writer and there is a connective tissue listening to the work that he's made Lupin, etc. There's a real muscly realism there. And I you know, don't remember much of the 70s, but I used to lead cases or did in various parts of the world with a bunch of cops that um, would tell me, or remember Life on Mars, but that was a documentary. And what I did feel we got was that um, sense of the police back then who were really free from any kind of governance. What I enjoyed about this episode is that although, to say the very least, there's sexism and you know, all the things that you would expect which were part of the tapestry, the sort of dark social fabric back then, most of the time what the police were trying to do was to sort of solve the the case. The fact that they had, without question, sort of institutionalised sexism and a society that informed their view. I, I like the sense that um, these police officers are more than one thing. And so often when we go back to that world, it's, uh, you know, it's so sort of bland and that, you know, they're either good guys or bad guys. You know, I thought Toby Jones's character was especially nuanced. He's just a delight to watch. He's the detective who basically says, yes, these women were, were prostitutes, but that doesn't make the slightest bit of difference. We've got to find their murderer because there are other, if you like, less enlightened detectives who are sort of implying that they brought it on themselves. And I mean, you know, we still have that situation today when you look at the number of convictions uh, that there are for uh, particularly, you know, sex crimes against women, uh, you find that those assumptions are still made and I, I thought it was actually it was almost heartening to see something happen that actually today you feel though I say that I mean you know if you look at all the stuff that's been happening with the Met Police and everything you know people people have been saying things like that you know in recent months recent years seven episodes now that's a lot I, I would have thought this is a natural three or four parter will you stay with it for seven episodes if it's as good as the mm. first one I definitely will um, but I also think it's really important what you said, Rob, that idea that you know, if someone came in to me and I was commissioning and they said, oh, I've got a really brilliant drama about the Yorkshire Ripper, I think I'd probably be saying, well, why him now, you know? Mm. But actually, I think what this this drama does is it sort of universalizes that sense of how victims are made, uh, uh, the sexism, the poverty of the time, you know, all of those things. And so I think it makes it something that, in a way, it doesn't really matter that it's about the Yorkshire Ripper, I don't think. By the way, one of the great cliches of commissioning is the question, why now? To which I always think the answer is, why not? Because this does not... Uh, as things sometimes do. To the best of my knowledge, this doesn't relate to an anniversary. There's no trigger. There's no fresh real-world revelation about the, the Yorkshire Peter Sutcliffe and his crimes. Uh, they've made it because they've got a fresh way of telling the story. And to me, that answers the question, why now? I mean, I don't know when I'm going to watch it. It's got good pulse. And it's interesting that he's a writer of, of thriller, but at the same time, I... I do wonder when I'm going to sort of sit down and watch the next episode. I'm assuming that at the end of episode seven, which is quite quite a lot to commit to, they catch the Yorkshire Ripper. Not necessarily. They might catch oh, him in episode... Oh, you're a genius. Well, no, no, no. I'm, no, 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 no. no. Wait, no, hear me out. Hear me out. They might catch him in episode five and then take us through the trial and the jury's point of view as well. We don't know. Are we giving 
the long shadow, the have you seen kind of seal of approval, I think we are. We definitely are. Defo. The Long Shadow is on Monday nights on ITV at 9pm and you can catch up now on ITVX. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And next up is BBC One's new Sunday night offering Boiling Point starring Stephen Graham. It's a slightly unusual one, this. This is a TV series that's the continuation of the 2021 movie, also called Boiling Point, and also starring uh, Stephen Graham. We are, in effect, seeing what happened next after the cinema credits rolled. Um, Spoiler alert, uh, Graham's character Andy Jones collapses at the end of the movie. It was also, I think, a short film before it was a feature-length film, which is a pretty amazing kind of history for it to have. We pick up uh, on the TV series about six months after Andy's collapse Carly who was the sous chef um, for Andy is now the head chef and co-owner of her brand new restaurant called Point North she's brought some of the team from Jones and Sons with her but there's a new face Johnny who arrives as a junior chef in episode one if you want a sense of quite how breakneck life in a high-end kitchen can be here's Johnny's introduction at the beginning of his first shift quick intros this is our incredible Sue Freeman I'd be lost without him over here we have the wonderful Camille on starters and garnish. Johnny. <laughs> Literal Earth Angel. Emily, Ted's pastry. Alright, darling, how are you doing? And one of our rising stars of the kitchen, Jamie, Demi CDP. And here we have Scouse, sorry, Bolton, meat and fish. Um, what, hang on, do I not get any like objectors now? Um, grumpy? Uh, handsome. Uh, debatable. Talented. Mm, hairy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go along with that one. It's interesting, you know, because I say all that and I say an introduction to the sort of velocity and stress of a high-end kitchen. But actually, I bumped into a chef last night who used to work at the Savoy and who also uh, worked with Marco Pierre White and a couple of those people. And he said it wasn't nearly stressful enough in Boiling Point. I mean, there is a television fiction here that extends to 
any series, police stations in television fiction are always uh, full of life and people running in and running out and criminals being arrested and all that. Ever been in the reception area of a police station in real life? One of the most boring places in the world where almost nothing happens at all. But I think we have to allow television the licence to create this sort of drama. No, I, I was think- just going to say, I also feel slightly um, weird about introducing it as a Stephen Graham starring drama because actually the real sort of star of it, I suppose, to a great extent, is Vinette Robinson, who plays Carly, that who used to be the sous chef and is, is now the main chef. And she's sort of heading the cast here. So I think we should... We we should recognise that before we move on. Yeah, we, we don't see much of Stephen Graham in the first episode. We sort of think he might be coming back, don't we? But he's I don't he's know. He's on about his 17th can of beer last time I saw him. So I'm thinking, no. Rob, what did you think? Were you were, were you seduced by Boiling Point? No, not really. I mean, it's a lot of shouty. Um, and you know, I, I also uh, recently have spent quite a lot of time working with a chef, you know, Monica Galetti, we make, uh, we make, that's what people who front TV say, but of course, you know, everybody else does the work, you just get all the credit, amazing hotels. It's a rough gig that. Yeah, it's really hard, people are doing a fun run for me, it's a disaster, <laughs> what can I tell you? You know, I think um, two things, firstly, you know, PTO is so right about trying to kind of capture the energy of a of a of a place that people work in. You were talking about police stations. I always think that about courtroom drama, which immediately slips me into a coma, because even in the high profile murder cases that I used to defend in, you know, there's such limited moments of high drama. Most of the time, what you find if you walk into a courtroom, even in the most high profile cases, is a lawyer speaking to the judge with the judge saying, where is that in the bundle? I mean, that's what happens. It's not very exciting. And I I like this, but I thought that um, had the bear not existed on Disney+, Plus, had I not been so utterly seduced and moved and thought that that series, you know, is so exquisite in terms of the devotion, the artistry, the passion, the kind of yeah, complex family dynamics and the relationship that people have with food and all of those sort of sensual things and difficult things that go into making a restaurant and the chefs who you know, are are in charge of them, who are a peculiar mix of sort of artist and business leader and, you know, lunatic all in, you know, one great big um, culinary Venn diagram. I think um, I'd have liked this a lot more, but I couldn't help but watch the first episode and think, you know, this is just sort of like the bare light. And I must confess, I hadn't seen the film that um, uh, inspired this series. So, that might perhaps have curated my response a little bit or certainly influenced it. But I, I might stick with it. But it's just not as good as The Bear. And that's, you know, that's where I, that's how I feel about it. The film is a kind of tour de force because it's a single camera shot that they keep up for 90 minutes and you, you just take your hat off to them. How do they do it? How do they not forget their lines or the camera you know, to get the microphone in shot or anything like this? They don't do that here. They turn it more, if you sense, conventional. But I, I think I liked it more than you. I, I, I was well prepared to think this won't be as good as the film or The Bear. I thought Vinette Robinson as Carly was fantastic. I I was glad to see glimpses of Stephen Graham, but I didn't miss him because there are about half a dozen great characters in the kitchen. I suppose what the, the, the sort of rod it creates for its own back is that Every night in this restaurant, in one way or other, has got to go terribly wrong, or, 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 <laughs> yeah. or you know, things have got to happen uh, that take it to the you know to the brink of catastrophe. There can't be a quiet Tuesday night where the food's quite good and people go home vaguely happy. And I see there are four episodes. 
I, I guess that's enough. But I thought it was still pretty good, if I'm I, honest. I thought that the I think that the writing is just not strong enough. And I thought there was so many bits that sort of were glaringly, obviously wrong in terms of detail. Like, for example, uh, Vinette as Carly. If she's reached the top of her profession and this is her big chance and the, the conceit on the in the first episode is this is a, a big night at this newly opened restaurant because some potential investors are coming along and she wants to really, really impress them. And the potential investors, I thought, were really unbelievable as investors. I mean, they were sort of like caricatures of what someone might think people with money to invest might act like. And and I felt they were really unconvincing. I thought that the, the twist of her demanding mother calling and sort of her rushing off into the night to go and help her mother on this hugest night of, of the year. It just wouldn't happen with you. I mean, you talk to those women like Angela Hartnett who've mm. risen to the top of their profession yeah. as as chefs and they are really committed to what they're doing and, you know, you know I'm not saying that they're heartless. I'm sure, you know, uh, if, if something had specifically been the matter... You know, they might have run off, but the fact that it was just, it was all just a bit loose. And then the thing about the food, you know, you mentioned the bear and I agree with you about the bear. It's sort of the love of food and the obsession with food is so brilliantly conjured. And here I feel like the people who've written it don't really know about kitchens or about food because they seem to think that just sort of a little bit of a drizzle and a jus, a sort of quick cutaway <laughs> oh, I thought the to food a decorated oh, I plate. I, you, you eat in better restaurants than I do. I thought the no, food it's, looked it's, really it's nice. Not, it's, it's not about eating in better restaurants. It's about, I don't think they conjure this kind of visceral love of food. There's, they don't look at the ingredients. They don't. There's no loving shots of food being created. There's just these shots of the end result with a bit of jus dribbled on it and a and a pansy leaf dropped Well, that to it. me is sophisticated. I really responded to this in the same way that you did, uh, Marion. I, I didn't feel that there was a real investment in this sort of sheer delight, the artistry, the passion, the kind of impossible reach for this perfection, whatever that is, and the frustration that you know, you as a lead chef are responsible for other people's work and it matters. It matters. I didn't get that. Yeah. But, you know, I'll, I'm prepared to carry on watching possibly. So this is this is different and I, I think I liked it more than you two did. I you, And no, a great cast. A great cast. A great cast. Actually, I was really interested in some of the other people in the kitchen. I, if I watch it again, it'll be because I'd just like to perhaps eke out some of their stories and see what, what's going on there. So what are we saying here, Rob? You and I have been pretty much in agreement about Boiling Point. I would... I I would recommend having a look because I think that there are lots of people who might enjoy it. I feel like you and I are probably being a little bit too cinema verite about it, perhaps. Uh, but what would be your final word on it? That's exactly how I put it. I'm going to be the person who says, I think it's really good. Uh, the bear makes a very hard comparison for it. I think it kind of more or less measures up to it. It it does. Does it feel quite right on a Sunday evening when you might want a bit something a bit less, a bit more relaxing before you before you go to bed? That's it. But then most people are watching on the BBC yeah, iPlayer. You've got to anyway. stop doing the Sunday evening thing. You're showing your age. Nobody watches things in the moment that they're on. They watch them when they feel like it. Oh, I just got home. I'm going to put on my BBC iPlayer. That's the way it works now, Peter. Mary, you were right and I'm wrong. <laughs> Celebrity Race Across the World is back on BBC One. So if you haven't seen it, the idea is uh, a simple and um, pretty neat one, really. Four celebrities 
24 countries, zero VIP treatment, uh, with no phones or flights allowed. The famous faces and their family pairs must get from Africa to the Arctic by any means necessary. It's previously been done with punters, but this is the first series that's been done with celebrities, as always with television. Uh, What do we mean by a celebrity? We've got McFly drummer Harry Judd and his mum Emma. We've got uh, the ITV weatherman Alex Beresford and his dad Noel. We've got the singer of All Saints fame Melanie Blatt and her mum Helen and British racing driver and pundit Billy Monger and his sister Bonnie. We're maybe a little bit naive to some things yeah. because we haven't travelled before. And we haven't so, got like, many skills between us. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we have no strategy. We have no game plan. All the gear, no idea. I know, right? Rob, wh- where are you on the celebrity race across the world? I really love this show. I mean, you know, you know, you you pretty much know more than anyone. You're the high priest of reality uh, telling. You get why people tune in. Um, and, you know, I hope actually at some point you you could kind of unpick why certain reality TV works and why it doesn't. But I don't think you need to be Freud or Peter Fincham or Mariella to really understand why. I mean, it has to have a heart. You know, it has to have something that, that you, you tune in for. And this is full of heart. It's mums and their relationships. And I really think um, the producers have no doubt got hours of footage, have curated the stories, sure, about the uh, race across the world and you get a nice, sweet, well, very beautiful, rather, backdrop. But that's the kind of, as I say, the sort of hair and makeup to what is ostensibly a real story of heart, that which I really love. I loved um, Harry Judd, who, I mean, mega pinup, but his relationship with his mum. And you know, we learned that he, you know, he was famous as a young man. And so there's, I felt like a really authentic sense that they were trying to recapture time with one mother and that she'd missed that. I really like that sense that there's a universality in our relationship uh, with our mums, either because, you know, there's something we've missed in the relationships of the past, but ultimately, those interactions, whatever your background or culture, confronted by a challenge, which is not a straightforward one in a pretty warm part of the world, you know, is similar whoever you are. And I think if reality TV uh, says anything or is about anything, it is about tapping into those lovely universal themes. And it just made me utterly delighted. And it's the best sort of escapist reality telly you could ever ask for. It's great. There's a lovely scene in the first episode, which to, to your point exactly, when uh, Harry Judd's talking to his mum and his mum says, I'm so excited about spending a couple of weeks of you with you. When you were 17, you joined mm. McFly and you became famous, which was incredibly exciting. And I was very proud, but you just disappeared out of my life overnight. And that felt so relatable to me. The notion of, of course, the downside of becoming a pop star is that mum doesn't get to see much of you. And she's a lovely woman as well. She's a very, you know, she's one of the stars of it for me. I'm afraid I'm going to disagree with both of you because I really, <laughs> really, I mean, I am not a reality TV aficionado, I have to say, first and foremost. I do, I did quite like, you know, Celebrity Get Me Out of Here in the first few series of that. And uh, particularly even more so when my kids started watching it with me um but I'm really allergic to formula 
And I think that this is a really great idea. I love the relationships between the characters. I love the idea of this immersion with someone in your family or someone close to you. I don't know if you're allowed to bring a friend, if it has to be someone in the family. And I think there were incredibly poignant moments. But for me, they were entirely eclipsed by all the structured stuff about this race that isn't really a race. And the the sort of, the, there are moments that just completely take away all the credibility from it for me. Like when they suddenly get a job for a day washing leather. <laughs> and you think, well, no, no one's going to give two people in the middle of making a TV show a job for a day washing leather. This is artifice. And also, sorry, and I'm sure he's a really nice guy, but is it the same guy who does the voiceover for every single one of these <laughs> reality shows? He sort of shouts at you. It's, well, it's the very yeah. it's the very distinguished actor, John Hanna, who's uh, I think he's quite a good voiceover artist. John Hanna? I really John like Hanna. John Hanna, but he, he, you know he's adopted that shouty voice. But I, I don't. I like John Hanna. I, I, I take your point. I think try to look at it from a viewer's point of view. Do we buy into the kind of uh, artifice of the race? Because, and this is, I'm coming back to Rob's point, because we enjoy the family relationships and the personal relationship at the heart of it, personally, I do. I, can't, I don't know, they're on the way there and they suddenly get a day's work in a tanning factory in Morocco. Could you get a day's work in a tanning factory in Morocco unless you happen to be accompanied by a film crew? No, but then don't pretend that it's just happened by but accident. Television's all pretense, isn't it? I mean, a lot of it's pretense. Well, that's, so. why, that's why I object. I'm saying make the reality show. Don't make the pretense show and pretend to people that it's reality. Well, you've been on Strictly, Rob. Tell us about this. Well, that's pretty... I mean, that's the thing. I was watching it the other day. I watched the, the opener. And, you know, I remember going to... Well, the first thing that happens is you go to do the pre-titles. And I don't think I've ever said anything on telly that was inauthentic. And But you, you're so sort of overwhelmed by the glittery um, cameras and the, the whole thing that um, you find yourself just repeating whatever the producer says. So you're glad to be here. Yeah, 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 repeating. I found myself looking down the barrel of the camera saying my whole life, all I've ever wanted to do is to get to Blackpool, right? And then, <laughs> I mean, when I was practising, I love Blackpool. It's amazing to be there. But, you know, when I was practising, as I say, even the heroin users I used to represent used to pretend they lived in St Anne's back then. <laughs> Much like when I arrived at the, you know, the first ever strictly thing where you like meet the partners and all the rest of it. I looked around the room, it was like a scene from Bloody Fame. And you know, same with Strictly, you watch it now, half of them are mega like West End dancers who have danced professionally is the only way that they can sort of you know make it seemingly fair and the public are fine about it. So they don't mind being a little bit, not lied to, but you know, they understand that producers do that because they expect there to be kind of light and shade. But I have to say, though, I am interested, again, like as your podcast, there's more people tune into your podcast. I'm really um, interested about the discussions that emerge. And you have set me off on a thought about what is the greatest journey style reality TV show. And I'm pretty sure it's Australian ver or the Australian version of Ladette to Lady, the second series. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you what it is. It's called The World's Most Dangerous Roads, and it's the episode starring Angus Dayton and Mariella Frostrup. That's the one you want to watch. Can, now, can that just, is a journey. Can I, just, can I just put a correction in here? I've heard Angus's version of this story as well, so I know, I know all about that trip. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think the, the, the thing about the race across the world 
It, it's a pretty established format. I don't think it needs our help, to be honest, because uh, it's created by Stephen Lambert, who's you know is one of the great creators of these sorts of things. And I, it's funny listening to you, Mariella. As I, I find that really interesting because because you're challenging things that I think most people take for granted, which is the sort of fairly straightforward mixture of talking heads and edit to the people walking across the square. I don't think anybody thinks that's formulaic. It's storytelling. How can you not when you've watched 18 oh, no, programmes and they yeah, all use yeah, the yeah, same yeah. formula? But, 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 but the essence of creating a successful format, in a sense, is pouring new wine into old bottles. And somehow you get that right and you've got a hit on your hands and... I could tell you, because I've done it and I've commissioned it and everything, it's really easy to get it wrong and you haven't got a hit in your hands and you think the elements are right. So I kind of have a, a, a sort of instinctive respect for people who get it right. And there's no doubt the race across the world has been a big hit. And I find myself getting caught up in it, despite the obvious contrivance like the job in the tanning factory. So you know what I think? I'm, I'm more in Rob's corner than yours here, I if I'm being honest. I think it's the reason that people don't watch um, mainstream television to the level that they once used to. And it's why I think a lot of people turn to dramas of the kind we've been discussing earlier in the programme, because it all feels schlocky and 1950s. And I don't they do, Mariella. What about, you know, I mean, so much of it is format. People love and buy into the format. There's almost, you know, it's the cast, not the structure that kind of matters. You I take mean, a show like The Apprentice, which I, I've you had been a great involved cast in. And without the, the, the predictable structure, imagine if you just did something creative and new. That would be a really exciting thing. Yeah. I mean, how many how many series of, of I'm a Celebrity have there been? Or indeed Celebrity... Yeah, but know. I'm a Celebrity keeps going. But when I'm a Celebrity was announced, I can remember this very well. It was in about 2000. I, was, I, was, uh, I wasn't running a channel at the time, so no, no 50 pounds yet. <laughs> and I remember thinking, that doesn't sound very good. It sounds like a bit of Big Brother mixed in with some other things, you know, put it all in the in the pot and, and swirl it around a bit, see if something good comes out. It didn't feel very original. Survivor also was a bit like Survivor. It was a big hit in America. But actually, it was better than any of them. I thought it was very why, original because it that's took why it's still thing, around twenty yeah, years it later. It took the whole thing of Survivor and everything, and then it put it put 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 celebrities in that environment sure. that people were interested in, sure. and put them in the middle of the jungle. And you know, I thought it was very but, original. But, was, but there hasn't been anything original well, since well, then. Oh, I think it's hard. But, Can but, I but, just but, bring this to a? I mean, <laughs> be Judge Rinder here. Give us a judgment because you can tell Mariella well, and I've got different views. I've already this. declared my bias. You're clearly right, and Mariella's clearly wrong. What I mean, you know. Which I feel sort of a little bit bad about somehow, because um, I once wrote a column saying that um, in the unlikely event I get to heaven, the voice of God is going to sound a little bit like Mariella Frostrop. I'm not going to cancel you because you disagree with me. I'm very old fashioned like that. Like I kind of like being disagreed with and having a bit of a debate. <laughs> Rob, thank you very much. I think, Rob, you were the perfect guest. Eloquent, yes. interesting, intelligent. Yes. Feisty. Mm. Be better, I may say so, than Suave, at least one of the hosts. Handsome. I think Mariella Frostrup and Rob Rinder present this show would be fantastic. Well, it'd be a hit, weird. obviously, it'd at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and it'd be a lot shorter I'm as the well. person who's going to drag it down, I can tell. We're getting to the end of our very first episode of Have You Seen Mariella? Shall we say that it's obviously the case we're very keen to hear from our listeners about what they've been watching and also 
what they might want us to watch. Yeah, I'd also like to know, um, whenever you agree with me, do write in immediately and say so, uh, because I need all the support I can get, because clearly Peter's an expert, obviously, and I am but an ingenue in his company. So send us an email. You can get in touch via our socials, or you can WhatsApp us. All the info is in the description. But we really, really want to hear from you. And definitely recommendations for good stuff to watch, so that um, we don't have to trawl through all the bad stuff all the time. One more thing to say before we're back next week is that there's some really interesting programmes that we're going to look at. There's Steve Coogan playing Jimmy Savile in the, uh, I think it's fair to say, long-awaited BBC drama. There's the return of Big Brother uh, on ITV2. Does Big Brother, (laughs) that very much a programme of an era. Um, I just reviewed it there. (laughs) Okay, well, you never know. It might surprise you. That's the point. And we're also going to get into the world of the streamers because we don't only want to talk about BBC, ITV and so on. There's a new documentary series about David Beckham on Netflix. We're going to look at that and see what we think of that. So thank you for listening. Thanks very much to Rob for being with us. I thought he was a fabulous... Did you not think he was a great guest, Peter? He's a... He, he, as, as he... I think he mentioned at the beginning, I kind of put him on television. Uh, so I feel, <gasps> I feel I'm invested in Rob Rinder and the boy's done really well and he's fantastic guest. I can't believe you couldn't compliment him without taking ownership. <laughs> I think that's another £50. So I'm quids in. I'm going to take myself out to dinner to a really fantastic restaurant of the kind that they were trying to describe in Boiling Point with the money that I've had from Peter and without wishing to sound desperate or needy though I may often be both if you've enjoyed the show please do follow Have You Seen wherever you get your podcasts that's about it that's all from me thank you for listening thanks very much see you next week Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.